Thank you, Ruleen. Appreciate you reading for us this morning. Thank you, Krista and Cherie, for leading us in worship. I really love that. Thank you for all the work that you put into practice and to pick really good songs for us to read to sing together. Absolutely love that. That blesses me. Well, um, I did a number of things differently over the last couple of years. I don't know if you did, um, but uh, lived a little bit in isolation. And so that changed some of my daily habits and some of the different things that, that I did. And, and uh, in particular, uh, my wife and I uh, watched a show that we'd never watched before. And, and if it hadn't been for a pandemic, we probably never would have gotten into. Uh, but how many of you have seen the show Alone? How many of you seen Alone? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, great. A number of you are sick, sick people that watched Alone. I watched two full seasons, two full seasons, um, season number one, and then whenever they went to the Arctic Circle, I watched that one too. Um, but essentially, this is reality TV where they try to put people in situations where they will encounter at a high level the fear of being alone, isolated, all by yourself, without any help. And I mean, they tried their very best to do that. And so many people, myself included, took great pleasure in watching people record themselves while they slept in a mud hut, while they froze to death, while they didn't have any food, while they were hunted at times by wild animals. Yeah, I, as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty sick that I, I'm enjoying watching this. I think it was the survival instinct, instinct part of me that enjoyed seeing what the different people did. And, and I was rooting for people all along. I know some of you people weren't, but I was rooting for them. I wanted them to live at the end of the season. Alone, the isolation, being all by yourself. You know, I, I think a lot of times we envy the disciples and people that were around Jesus in his three years of ministry. But the truth of it, Jesus' ministry was headed towards one purpose, that Jesus came into this world to die. And as that came to a head and a climax, things were not good. In fact, I don't envy the disciples to be there as Jesus is anticipating his cross. And there's one thing that Jesus feels in particular, and he feels it in a prophetic way, and it is loneliness. Loneliness. If you've ever felt alone or isolated all by yourself and thought, God must not know what I feel, you're wrong. He experienced it acutely. He was abandoned by his friends. Now, how many of us can say we were abandoned by our friends? Maybe, maybe you've had that experience. But Jesus was abandoned by his friends, and he was undeservedly left alone by his Father. That's something that you and I have not experienced on our worst day, that God the Father treated us worse than we deserved. But right here, I want us to, to experience Jesus' isolation and his loneliness. And, and it's hard. I'll, I'll just admit, like, it's not a nice, fluffy thing to think about, right? Uh, it's not. It's painful. It's part of the pain of Jesus' cross. But it's important for us to understand 
Because all of Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus' experiences. In all of his suffering, it was talked about, it was important, it was essential, and Jesus embraces it willingly. But right here, we hear a word from Jesus' mouth that he is going to be left by every one of his friends in his darkest hour. (laughs) Now this is amazing, because I want to paraphrase the story here, but Jesus ends the Passover, and how do they end their Lord's Supper meal that he's drawn out of the Passover? They sing a hymn together. So the people that he's singing with, that he's just given the Lord's Supper to, that he's just had an incredible experience with, that we continue to practice week in and week out the Lord's Supper, an incredible intimate moment with his 12 disciples. And then they head out of the house and out of Jerusalem the Mount of Olives once again, and away from Jerusalem. And then Jesus utters these terrible words. He says, you will abandon me. You will abandon me. He uses the word, you'll fall away. Meaning, you're not going to be loyal to me. You're going to leave. And then Jesus quotes the prophet Zechariah, and he says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus uses these Old Testament prophetic words from Zechariah. And I want to share just briefly, in Zechariah, the prophet calls out the bad leaders in Israel. The bad leaders. And and what was one of the images that that was used to describe leaders? It was a shepherd, right? It's where we even get our our term in the New Testament, pastor, right? It's a pastoral term. Uh, We think about the shepherd leader, King David. God says, I took you from the flocks, made you king over my people, shepherd over my people, And in Zechariah saying, these shepherds are terrible, they're self-centered, they're not doing what's best for the people of God. But then, in contrast, God promises that he's going to send a good shepherd. And this good shepherd that's talked about has a prophecy about them, in particular, that you will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus draws on this prophecy and he speaks it of himself. Right after he says this, and think about this, in the same breath, Jesus says, you're going to leave me. And then he also says, but I am going to Galilee to meet you. After my resurrection, Jesus qualifies it. Now, Peter right here, bold Peter, self-confident Peter, what does he do? Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and Peter denies the denial, right? He says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do this. Jesus, you've got, you've got the wrong disciple. I mean, that might be true of the other 11, but not me, Peter's saying. I'm not going to do that. I would never. Jesus doubles down. 
He tells Peter, no, you will deny me. And what does he do, especially for Peter? Peter, who's been so bold to deny that he would ever be disloyal to Jesus, Jesus gives Peter the details. You're going to deny me not just once, but multiple times. And you're going to do it before the next 24 hours is up. Wow. Peter continues, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm so loyal to you, right? And, and what can he do at this point? He says, I'm going to be loyal to you even if I have to give up my life. There are some intense words, and I want us to sit on these words as we, as, uh, we talked about some important moments from the Lord's Supper that we just looked at. And, and the next big scene in Matthew's gospel is the Garden of Gethsemane. And oftentimes we don't spend very much time on these words, but I think they're important because it actually helps us to see what Jesus has just said in the Lord's Supper and what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane in full color. Peter's story right here illustrates how far our self-confidence gets us. Truly, our ambition is strong our commitment's high, but our follow-through and our execution is pretty weak at times. Take any one commitment that I've made or that you've made, right? I mean, we just, we're in uh, January of 2022. How many of us made New Year's resolutions? <laughs> the month is not done. As I think about my commitments and things that I resolve to do, and then I add in things like fatigue and tiredness, you know? Like, like how much have, has that commitment to go to the gym been challenged as the alarm clock goes off? Maybe that's it for you, or maybe it's your Bible reading and getting up and doing it first thing in the morning, and yet when we're sleepy, it is so hard, so hard. Don't ask Heather how many times I slept in past my alarm this week, right? Don't, because I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. I feel that. Or, or how about our commitments and resolutions when we experience loss or sadness on our low days, when circumstances and things aren't going our way, when the stock market doesn't perform the way that we hoped, or, or in our fear and insecurity. How well do we keep to our commitments and resolutions to our word, what we want to do, hmm, when maybe we feel like we're losing our place or position? Hmm. Self-confidence doesn't get us very far. But what is Peter confident here? It's his loyalty to Jesus. Now, now this really uncomfortable, and, and this is where I say, you know, we want to be there when Jesus is there for the feeding of the 5,000 and, you know, when the lepers are cleansed and you get to see their skin transformed to, to be pure and healthy from the sick, sickness. We want to be there for those things. When Jesus seems untouchable by the religious leaders, when Jesus is growing in fame, but we really don't want to be there when Jesus tells his disciples, when he tells us, you're going to leave me. You're going to fall away. 
you're going to be disloyal to me. But there is, a, there is a pregnant question in this story, in this little snippet of the story of Jesus' cross. And here's the story. Why did Jesus tell his disciples about their disloyalty before they commit it? Had anyone done anything wrong up to this point? I mean, aside from Judas, right? Like, he's gone. The 11 that Jesus is still walking with. Had they done anything wrong? Think about that. They'd been following, listening. They hadn't been understanding quite. Well, that's really clear. But, but we really don't get the sense that Jesus calls them disloyal, except for right here. They hadn't done anything yet. Jesus is talking about something that they will do. A future failure. You need to find a new community group, right? We don't have that kind of prophetic power. But Jesus tells his disciples, and so there's a big question, why? Did he want to crush Peter's soul? <laughs> Did he want to make Peter feel miserable? Is that why Jesus is, is sharing about how his disciples are going to fall away? He doesn't often do this. Every time Jesus has taught his disciples, it's been in the moment of their lack of faith or their unbelief or their not understanding who Jesus is. But right here, Jesus says, you're going to betray me. So think about this. If your boss came up to you this week and told you, um, you are going to betray me. I know you're going to be disloyal to me. I mean, how would you take that? <laughs> uh, maybe you'd start looking for a new job. Maybe you'd do what Peter did. You know, I'm... You know, uh, you're trying to get rid of me, but I'm going to tell you that I'm actually being loyal. You can't get rid of me. You can't fire me. But we need to understand that Jesus is not kicking his disciples out right here. He's not kicking them out. He's not sending them away. Jesus has an important point to teach about who he is and what his gospel does. So listen to this. I've got, I've got three answers to this one question, right? So it's not multiple choice. I mean, it's going to be all A, B, C, right? All A, B, C. But they're all a little different angle that this text gets at. And the first is this. Why does Jesus tell his disciples about their future failure? Why does he do that? Because of Scripture. That's first of all, A, Scripture. Because Jesus has discovered his own reality in the prophetic word, Jesus knows that he is that one true king, that one good shepherd that has all the right stuff, the substance, the character, the humility to be able to lead God's people and to help them flourish the way that his father wants. Jesus understands that, but he knows what is wrapped up in being the shepherd, that this shepherd is going to lay down his life Zechariah says that he'll be struck. Jesus makes it clear when he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Now, here's my question. My question for us is, if Jesus finds his reality in Scripture, are we willing to do the same? I mean, can can you imagine this? Jesus, um, fully conscious in heaven of what he's being asked by the Father, to lower himself, to not use his divinity as a reason to say no when his father says, I want you to go and die for these people that have broken their promises to me. And Jesus doesn't use, I'm the son of God. I am, I am equal with the father. He doesn't use any of that as an excuse to say no. And he comes to this world and he's born as a baby, rather ordinary birth. And as he grows and understands God's word, he finds his own reality, his own purpose, who he is and why he has come. His own word is defining his reality. As he looks to Zechariah, I am the shepherd and I am going to be struck. I'm going to be struck for the sheep. And those same sheep are not going to be with me when I endure that. Can you and I find our own reality, even if it's not pretty? When we talk about and have been talking about why is Jesus dying, you know, our sinful nature is a big reason why. And so when Scripture starts with the assumption that, that this world was created perfect, but because of our ignorance and our rebellion against God, that it's broken, it's not the way that it should be. Because we have a sinful nature. That we don't deny that in our pride, but in humility, we discover our reality in God's prophetic word. Because at the same time, it's in God's prophetic word that we are told that he is sending the shepherd to die on our behalf. That he calls us to confess our sins, to lay our burdens on him. That we can find rest in God in the heart of Christ. That That we would discover this reality in God's word. So here's my challenge. Here's my encouragement. Are we willing to look at Scripture the way that Jesus looks at Scripture? He found his own prophetic reality in Scripture, and he uses it to teach his disciples right here. Why did Jesus tell his disciples about their future failure? Because Scripture told him about it. He knew it was coming. He was preparing to embrace it. But secondly, Jesus is preparing his disciples. This is what we learn about the gospel. Jesus is preparing his disciples. Look at the words. We've got a verse break in them, but but verse 31, you will all fall away. Jesus quotes Zechariah, and then he immediately goes into. So imagine this, without even taking a breath, you will all fall away, but after I am raised up. I will go before you to Galilee. Why is Jesus telling his disciples about their future failure? Because he's also telling them about his future restoration with them. 
Jesus has to look full and, and, and look on to what is going on, the fear, the insecurity, the anxiety in his disciples' hearts, because he's about to experience it, but he is thinking beyond that. He is thinking about his cross, his resurrection, and when he is going to see his disciples next. He is preparing them for restoration. That's what redemption does. Christ must confront the ugliest parts of our heart. Here's an encouragement to a failure like me. That I can face the failures and ugliness in my own heart with Christ. Jesus doesn't share this with his disciples to crush them, to beat them up, to try to kick them out of the circle of his disciples. He's not doing that. He's sharing about their failure so that he can prepare them for restoration. Now, they don't see that, right? Peter's not thinking, okay, I'm going to betray you, but then step two, you're going to rise from the dead. And then step three, you're going to meet us in Galilee. You're not done with us. Oh my goodness, I'm so thankful. You know, Peter, it just goes right over Peter's head. And maybe because of the pride in his heart that he's thinking, oh, I'm, I would never be disloyal to you. What a facade. Can you, I, I, can, I can empathize with Peter's facade that he's trying to put on here. But this is essentially Jesus. I'm saying, like, take the mask off. Let's be real. Jesus is being real with his disciples. He's facing their failures. And as he faces their failures and thinks in the future how they are going to abandon him like everyone else, Jesus says, here's my game plan. I'm going to bring you all back together, and I'm going to be with you. That's my game plan. Wow, that is a radical, hope-filled love. Because, because I think at age 34 about all the ways that I'm going to fail Jesus for the rest of my life and to hold on to the hope that Jesus knows our sin, that we have committed, are committing, and will commit. And he has prepared a game plan for restoration. Praise the Lord. That makes my heart <laughs> want to sing. That makes me want to be with the disciples and sing this hymn right here. Full well knowing, Jesus has just said, I'm going to betray him. And yeah, I feel pretty weak. Maybe I would. Put in the disciples' shoes. You see, their hope is not in their bravado. Their hope is fully in Jesus. Peter can't take hope and that he's going to be able to wrestle against God's word. God's word says that no one's going to be with Jesus. He's going to be alone. He's going to be abandoned. And Peter steps up and says, I can fight against God's word. I can prove it untrue. And we're going to find out Peter can't. And he doesn't. Jesus restores us so that we carry the hope that we will never be alone. Or another way to put this, and this is maybe the most succinct way to put this point of restoration, what the gospel offers us, it's this, that Jesus is abandoned by all his disciples, that the Father turns his face away from Jesus so that you and I will never be alone. Jesus is alone so that you and I 
will never be. What do we mean by that? It's that he experiences the loneliness, the isolation, the abandonment by men, and then undeservedly by his father, so that you and I would never have to. So that me, on my loneliest day, would never have to fathom that God's grace in Jesus has somehow shriveled up and, and, that, and that I've failed God my last time. And he's, he's going to have to leave me alone. He's going to have to abandon me. I never have to think that thought, even on my worst days, because Jesus endured it. And he tells us that he's going to endure it. Jesus is abandoned right here so that you and I will never have to be. That is great news. So scripture, to prepare his disciples for restoration, and then Jesus tells his disciples about their future failure for us to understand his sacrifice. I'm going to use a theological word. It's called the atonement. It's Jesus taking away our sin and making someone who, who is unclean, unholy, who's a sinner before God, making them pure and righteous. It's what Jesus achieves on the cross. And here's what we learn. That loneliness, being alone, being isolated, having no hope in friends was a part of Jesus' cross to bear. Scripture said it. He prepared us for restoration, but he's also helping us to understand the kind of suffering that he's going through. That Jesus is going to embrace the cross voluntarily, and he volunteers knowing that everybody is going to walk away from me once I do this. Wow. It was a part of his cross to bear alone. Our hope hangs on what Jesus did and what he did alone. He's about to bring up, uh, oh man, a verse that you and I are just love to hate, right? Uh, he's going to bring this up in Gethsemane. You know, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ooh, you guys really want to do well, but you've never done really well. <laughs> Your execution is poor. Oh man, I hate that verse, right? I just want to make a resolution and keep it for 365 days. That'd just be great, right? But to face our weakness. But as we face that weakness, we understand what Jesus walked through. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> whew. this is one passage we don't like to grapple with, but I want you to get into this passage. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. So think about this. Think about this. You all are part of a church that's a restart, right? And so think about this fear, this fear. Um, if we put this in, in today's vocabulary, you're going out to start a church. You start to gather momentum, and people are joining your mission and purpose and as they come to you, you start to tell them why you're really planting that church. 
And as you do, and get closer and closer to the reality, people start to leave. Until finally, one, one community group night, one Saturday night, you tell your disciples exactly how it's going to go down. And that they're all going to leave. And then you show up the next Sunday meeting and nobody's there. Do you know what our mission board would declare that? A failure. <laughs> right? The isolation that Jesus feels as he is accomplishing his mission is acute. It's something that I don't desire. How, how many of us say, I, I really want to do what God wants me to do, and I want everybody to leave me because of it? Like, we, we don't want that. But what we see Jesus do right here is to embrace this fully. That when you and I feel alone, Jesus can sympathize with that loneliness. And, and you and I might not look as lonely as Jesus. Uh, we might be surrounded by people, maybe you are, uh, but you can be surrounded by people and lonelier than a hermit. And here's the question to ask. You know, who has your back? Who understands you? Are you known? Are there people, I mean, it doesn't have to be your whole community group, but are there people that know you? And they know you on your worst days. Who cares for you and who speaks the gospel to you in your greatest failures? We need to answer those questions. We need to be the authentic community that says we're willing to walk with you. We're not lonely and you're not lonely because of what Jesus has done for us. He was alone so that you and I don't have to be I'm not promising that we will be the perfect church, but we want to lean into be the kind of community that says we will love you when you don't have your Sunday best. We will pray for you, and we would love to speak words of encouragement. Don't come from my self-confidence, but from confidence in what Jesus has done and who he will continue to be for his church, that he'll never leave us alone, even though we did leave him alone. That's what we want to be for you. Now, you and I might be afraid to leave loneliness behind. Um, it's a great fear and insecurity of mine. <laughs> would you rather be known or would you rather be alone? Because there's some safety in being alone. No, nobody has to know who I am. And I want to encourage you, even if you feel fear and insecurity, it's okay. In this church and other people, they might fail you as they get to know you. Give us grace, give people grace, but know this, that Jesus knows you and will never abandon you. That is a kind of love we don't we don't experience in this world. It's a love that calls us to trust in him. It earns our trust. 
Think about the disciples. If there's anybody in the story you and I should identify with, it's the disciples. Maybe you're Peter. I feel like Peter a lot. That means that Jesus is honest with us. I know your failures. That means we can trust him with our confession. That he calls us to restoration. That means that you and I ought to trust him. How should you and I answer the question? Why does Jesus talk about our failures with us, even our future failures? Because Jesus says, you might abandon me, but I will be there to meet you. And his answer warrants our trust in him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us even on our worst days. In our greatest fears and insecurities, when we don't want to be known, you already know. God, I pray, I pray for us as a church, two things that we would trust in you and we would strive to be known. That we can be honest about where we're at. Because we are living in your grace. God, I pray that you would do that. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.